Okay, go. <laughs> okay, go. Hi, this is. Oh, you. Oh, look at that. You can keep I'll try going. It again. Yeah, yeah, keep going. <laughs> Hi, this is Orion Talmai from StillAlivePodcast.com, and you are listening to Room Room Veer with the one and only Jeff Smith. I love it. It's like I'm on the David Letterman show. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. All right. Thank I'm going to hit stop and then I'll be right back. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Silva, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be a blast. I love everything about what you've got going on. I just love the word badass. Let's say badass a bajillion times. <laughs> I do. I'm very used to that. <laughs> right? I'm ready. <laughs> You're ready. The first okay. thing I, I told you when I, on our pre-show, very brief pre-show chat, that the first thing that comes to my mind is putting like Samuel L. Jackson on a Capital One commercial. That's badassing your brand, right? And letting, yeah, letting, I, him, letting him say, damn. <laughs> yes, badass does get um, censored here and there. I have a Forbes column and I, I can't use the word badass on it. It's kind of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to dance around the word constantly. Uh, that reminds me of a story of... Um, have you ever heard of this dude, uh, Matt Mullenweg? He's like the billionaire that's in charge of WordPress. Okay. He refuses to swear at all to the point of being an idiot. So he says, bad butt. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's adorable and stupid at the same time. <laughs> hey, but he got you talking about him. That's your true. Podcast. There you go. So it worked. <laughs> that's so bad butt, man. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> That's stupid. Okay, so talk a little bit about uh, what you're most excited about at, geez, all of your things. You've got Worst yeah, of All Design, you've got Badass Your Brand, you've got PSSilva.com. So yeah, what's what's most exciting today? Well, you know, I built Worst of All Design, which is my company that I own with my husband, Badass right. Branding Company, okay. uh, over the last six years. I love it. It is my child. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I work in it and I work with clients through that. Um, but in the last year or so, I published a book called Badass Your Brand. And off of that book launched my personal brand, P.S. Silva. So I'm really excited about launching the personal brand in the book because that was my way of getting everything I've learned and and everything we do for clients to a much larger audience. So I love working with clients one-on-one and that really feeds my soul. Um, but it, but it is limiting because I can only right. work with a certain number of clients. Sure. And so rather than build a business, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, uh, and rather than build an agency so I could work with many clients, which I learned the hard way that I didn't really want to do, that wasn't really unique, um, authentic to my yeah. vision of success. That's I a good said, lesson to learn. How, 
yeah, that was a very important lesson. I'm, I'm glad I learned it relatively early. Um, instead, I really just want to get this out there to the masses uh, through, you know, information and, and coaching and programs and stuff like that. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that because we talked in the pre-show chat about there's a video on your website where you talk about how you had to, you were kind of like going down the road of agency because that's what everybody does. And then you had to make a change and that was a little scary. So walk us through that. How did that all play out? Sure. Well, the first three years of our business, we were really building an agency. Uh, We had hired two employees. We got a studio. um, And the reason we did that was I was kind of copying what I saw around me. Right, Um, right, right. right? It's what everybody does. Yeah. Yeah, it's what everybody does. I was networking mostly as my method of getting business. So I was networking with a lot of fellow designer branders and that's what they were doing. So um, I also don't have a background in the agency world or the branding world. So all I had to go on was what I saw in the market. And what ended up happening was I had a lot of overhead Um, because of the overhead of the employees. I had to raise our prices substantially. Um, And, you know, I think it was worth it. That's what my competitors were charging. It's just that I didn't have enough of an uh, experience charging 30, 40, $50,000. And right. so what I learned very quickly is that those sales cycles are much longer. Um, mm. The competition is much fiercer. And because of that, we ended up at exactly three years into our business in $40,000 of credit card debt, mm. um, savings wiped out. Yeah. Just And, and the 40,000 was significant because that was all the credit we had. So <laughs> there was nowhere sure. else. That's all the money. Yeah, that was <laughs> all the money. That was the last of it. And basically, the, I started to have a panic attack because yeah. I realized that I didn't, there was nowhere else to turn. Um, and at that moment, this one particular night, my my husband and partner, he said, you know, we have to let the employees go. We owe them payroll in two weeks. And that felt like failure. That felt oh, like yeah the bottom. And, and we, I, I kind of thought that meant we had to close up shop. And mm-hmm. this was an incredible aha moment turning point because he, whether he knew how brilliant this was at the moment or not, right. he said to me, you know, we, it's not like we failed. Like we don't have to close up our doors or anything. We just this can't afford to pay be, these folks. <laughs> yeah, we can't afford right. to pay these folks. We can't afford to pay these folks, right. first of all. Yeah. And also we can still like keep our business going forward and maybe it's just going to look a little different because to be, let's be fair. Like we have happy clients. Our work is great. It's there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. We might just not be doing it in the right way. Mm, Um, and that was a huge aha because as soon as I accepted that letting the employees go didn't mean imploding and it didn't mean that we had failed and it didn't mean that we were downsizing in a negative way. Downsizing sounds so bad. You know, I I thought it was bad negative thing. And once he made me see that it wasn't negative, all of a sudden it was like the world lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, the the weight of the world is gone. It's like, hell, we can keep all that money now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So uh, it was paying them $8,000 a month, the two of them together. Wow. I felt like I made $8,000 in a moment, you know? No, I I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm right now, now I'm not doing a business, but I'm, I know how you feel because I'm in, I've hatched this plan last November to move from LA to Vegas, mostly because it's way cheaper to live there. Yeah. So now, now we're starting to feel what that's going to feel like. And one of the first things was, was, 
oh, by the way, our rent's going to be half and the house is way better. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? So I, I know what you mean. That. <laughs> I know. It's like, what the hell were we doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so go on. I interrupted the story. So you have this Maybe big I'll aha. Get there right, right. Because I live in New York City. So <laughs> anywhere that I go I, from here. Yeah. Anywhere you go from there will feel like it's free. <laughs> yeah. like I have a million. Yes. Um, so, so that was a huge turning point. So then over the next couple of months, we basically put ourselves through our own branding process, which we also at that time realized was one of our most valuable assets because we actually had all these skills and we weren't really applying them to our own business. Mm. So we put ourselves through our own process and we asked ourselves a couple of key questions that I ask all clients and I'll, I'll share them with you because anyone listening, sure. ask yourself this question. They're very helpful. No, I did a branding um, thing too. And I know it's like 90% therapy. It's all about perfection. <laughs> Actually, that's so funny you say that, Jeff. Our first step in our yeah. process is called a brand shrink. Right. <laughs> it so, is yeah. so amazing when you have like the right sort of brains picking your brain, you can come up with some really neat shit. That's incredible. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. And we had been using these questions, so we just had to ask ourselves these questions. Duh. So <laughs> the first question was, what do you stand against? So what do you hate about your industry? What do you hate about what you do? Mm. Um, I find this is a very powerful question. A lot of branding. What pisses uh, you off kind of people, thing. Yeah. A lot of branding strategists will ask you, what, what do you stand for? And I right. think the answers to that suck. So when you ask yourself, what do you stand against? You actually get to the honest, real meat of yeah. what's going on. Yeah. So when we asked ourselves, what do we hate about this industry? We said, oh my gosh, we hate long drawn out projects. We hate design by committee. We hate groups of people watering down our work. We hate like the, the kind of unnecessary project management that comes with lots of opinions. And mm. that was exactly the agency model that we had been building. So that was a pretty amazing, um, amazing aha moment because we said, Oh my God, we're building a company we don't even want. <laughs> so, <laughs> cool. that, that's I a nice, know. that's a nice wake up right? I like that. Right. Right. And so it's cheaper. We, the other one. And, right. and it's cheaper. <laughs> so then go. we asked, well, what do we love? You know, what's our favorite part about this? And it turned out that we had had this, this little product. We had it kind of on the side. We hadn't been um, marketing it much called a brand up. And it was this one day intensive that we did for small businesses. It wasn't something we advertised. It was something I had in my back pocket. Really. If I spoke to someone, they didn't have $50,000. I said, Oh, well we have this $3,000 thing we can do for you. It's a brand up. You come in for the day. We do all your stuff. But at the end of the day, you get what you get. Mm -hmm. We said, we love those. We don't do, we don't market them. We don't do them very often, but when we've done them, they, they just feed everything we love. They allow us to be highly creative. They allow us to completely rebrand people in a day, like to make massive strides for somebody in a very short amount of time. Right. They eliminate all the group think the group opinions, the watered down work clients come in ready to essentially take what we give them. Like they give us some revisions, but Basically, they're they're there to make decisions. So it cut out all the indecision that we disliked. Mm. So then, so then the third question is, what's the most profitable thing that you do? And it turned out that the brand ups were the most profitable thing because really? even yeah, because even at three thousand dollars compared to thirty thousand mm. dollars, three thousand dollars for one day was actually way more profitable than a thirty thousand dollar project that. 
Takes forever. Was supposed to be right. five months, ended up being eight months. Right. So much additional time. I mean, you can't yeah. even really calculate how yeah. much time. Yeah. So that was another light bulb moment. We said, this it's is the thing we love to do. A lot Sorry? harder to, it's probably a lot harder to collect 30 than three, two, right? It takes forever for them to pay that bill. <laughs> One would imagine. Yeah. I don't know. I'm even, guessing. Well, even the time spent collecting on the money. I mean, when yeah. we were doing the brand ups, it was all paid up front. So right. it just cut out so much BS. Um, time. Yes. BS. Yes. Badass yeah. brands without the BS. That's our tagline. <laughs> so um, I love so we decided we're going to go all in on these brand ups. We're only going to sell brand ups. They're the thing we love to do. They're the most profitable thing we do. And with that pivot, all I had to do, and I don't want to make it sound like so much easier, but really it was pretty simple. I went back to all of the outstanding proposals I had and I told them, hey, um, you know that proposal that you're still mulling over? Throw it out the window. We don't do that anymore. However, I could do the same project for you in a fraction of the time for a fraction of the cost. And I wow. closed four clients just doing that. Wow. And then and I went back and I just re-educated this whole network of people that I had met and I explained what we did. And because it was so clear, it was so specific, it had a clear flat rate, you knew what you were going to get. It was very specific to a certain kind of client. We work with one to three person service businesses. I started just attracting clients, like magnetically attracting clients. I didn't have to network anymore. I didn't have to do any advertising. I kept sending out my newsletter twice a month, but that was it. And that's how we made $500,000 in the next 12 months wow. without advertising, without social media, without networking. Um, that's pretty we, badass right there. It was really, it was really <laughs> exciting. Wow. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that that's my story. And, and I've been doing those ever since. Now, the price has increased dramatically and it increased pretty quickly because once we started doing it, we just kept investing energy into making it better and better. And, right. and we learned from every brand up we did, we, we, we got better at it, we increased the value and we raised the price. So very quickly, we got to $10,000 for a day. Um, and now we charge 15. So and by the time you listen to this, maybe it'll be more because <laughs> I am a little trigger happy with the uh, with the pricing. Because what I've learned is when you have something that's actually going to, you know, 10x somebody's business, you can kind of charge whatever you want. Right. No, for sure. Because people are always looking for ways to spend money anyway, to make more money. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, good, great clients are looking for ways to spend money to make more money. Right. And that's another thing about premium pricing, which I preach a lot. Premium pricing attracts the right kind of clients, the kind of clients who are going to do the things necessary to get success out of what they invest in. And I like the fact that what you're doing is like now, like, the first question that jumps to mind is it sounds like a lot of work happening in uh, in a very short amount of time. How is that possible? <laughs> yeah, right. I, um, people usually ask us that. Um, so, I mean, obviously, there's a bit of a process there. Uh, so in sum, in short, our process is two steps. Step one is the brand shrink therapy session. It's right. an hour and a half interview. That's a whole um, lot of discovery discussions, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's a necessary step. And, and oh, for sure. nobody... Nobody gets to buy a brand up without doing a brand shrink first. Mm. Um, so I, I charge for that. I We interview them and I give them a, a brief that essentially outlines 
what they're doing right, what they need to do instead, the plan for their brand. Okay. Um, and then on the last page, I say, these are the deliverables that you need. You need a logo, the design and build of a website, copywriting, you know, strategy, marketing strategy, whatever, the whole thing. And then I say, that's a one day brand up or that's a two day brand up or sometimes right. I give options. And then once they sign off on that, we do a lot of prep work ahead of time okay. such that when they come in or we, I do a lot of these over um, over Skype, we take them through a process through the day where we're showing them work, getting their feedback, making revisions in real time and wow. moving forward so yeah. that at the end of the day, we are launching their website and we're handing over all of their materials done and ready to go. Holy cow. Yeah, it's fun. It's really intense. But it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because my uh, I, I can tell this story because I did my branding engagement, I think was supposed to be six or eight weeks and it, it went a little bit longer. And uh, yeah, you know, like I said, it was 90% discovery and then this, aha, let's do this, right? And then, um, but there was still, I mean, there's no committee because it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good, but it, it, it wasn't, it didn't just take a day. So, but I mean, really, when I think about it, it was probably only, you know, eight hours mostly. And then a couple of, uh, design meetings on Skype, but yeah, that right. could theoretically all happen in a day or two. <laughs> yeah. There was just like six or eight weeks, right, right, right. Yeah. So instead of spreading, right, instead of working with multiple clients at once and spreading the whole thing over time, we've just create, we've just honed this process. Yeah. Yeah. And and we find um, a lot of entrepreneurs really like knowing that it's going to be done at the end of the day. You know, there's value in that. There is value in. just being able to be put through a process and not having a lot of unknowns. I think, I think a lot of people really appreciate that. Oh, for sure. So, so where did this badass idea come from and, and how do you badassify a brand? Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's, well, that's interesting. <laughs> What's the difference between a badass brand and, and, a, and I don't and know. a regular brand and a regular brand. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for asking that, Jeff. I actually have a very specific definition. Well, one would hope. Um, <laughs> so, um, so a badass brand has two uh, critical characteristics. Okay. One, it has to attract ideal clients. Um, so I don't just mean they kind of like it. I mean, you have to be willing to repel everybody else. But it, it really does attract people who are dying to work with it because it has – it has a real voice, personality, positioning. There's a lot of different ways to do this, but mm. um, but it must be able to attract the right, the ideal client, ideal clients mm. only. Right. And second, it must be able to command a premium price. So you should be able to charge more than the competition and still win the business. So badass brands um, do those two things. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's an automatic shitty client filter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. Forbes won't let me call a column that, but I like that. <laughs> and uh you're only gonna get the ones the clients that you wanna work with. So do you do you not in your business, do you not spend a whole lot of time saying no to people? Does it work? 
Oh my gosh. No, I say, well, oh, good question. So um, <laughs> saying no is like a pillar of badass branding. You have to be oh, ready and willing right. to say no to anyone who is sure, not sure. a perfect ideal client. Right. Um, yes. I would say that like my brand online, worst of all design. I mean, worst of all design, <laughs> I love badass that, by the way. brands without the BS. Thank you. It's, it's not for everybody. <laughs> and sure. It, right. And so if you don't get the you, joke, then yeah. you're going to go, you, what's that all about? And just keep yeah, moving. Right. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't like the way that I write or, you know, I have a lot of content on on my our website so that people can really get to know our point of view. So what that does is it means that most of the people that I speak to, they don't come and say, hey, I'm kind of interested what you got. They usually email me and say, oh, my God, I love your website. I just spent the last two hours. Where did you get that lipstick? Oh, my God. <laughs> they're, t- they're very into it. Exactly. (laughs) So they're very into it. So what that means is they're very far down the pipeline. So I'll still obviously qualify them. I mean, we don't work with product businesses, for example. The second Mm. someone tells me they're a product business, I say, I'm sorry, we can't work with you. And I've had some people say, well, can you make an exception? I'm like, I just don't want to, (laughs) you know, like I'm just not, I could, but I'm not going to. Right. Yeah. Because I'm not as great at it. Um, I don't have as much of a background, so I'm just not going to be knocking it out of the park. I prefer to only work with clients where I'm going to deliver my best value because mm. that's more fun. You know, I have, more- I have a, a strategy for you and it's mostly yeah. a joke. Yeah, yes. this is mostly a joke. So when, <laughs> when, <laughs> whenever my wife, uh, when I say, honey, do you think you could drive from all the way from L.A. to Vegas? Her answer will always be like this. I can't <laughs> like maybe she's British, <laughs> but she's actually Japanese. And when, when she says things like I can't, what she really means is she could, she's just not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So when it, yeah, the, next, the next time a, a, a client asks you, yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I could, but I won't. I, I refuse to. That's amazing. Good for you. So, okay. Let, let me see if I can find something else to talk about while we're still here. <laughs> we usually talk to like uh, Gen Xers and their whole life and you're so young. Yeah. <laughs> How old are you anyway? You're 20-ish, right? Or 30 I'm going to be 33 next week. Shut up. Yeah. Wow. So you're still a millennial though. Uh, I'm on the cusp. You are? I got, I got some Gen X. You got a little. (laughs) (laughs) I got the Gen X grit. I took it with me. Did you really? Interesting. It's weird. You know, the 30 somethings, uh, are kind of with me, you know, I'm 47 almost 48. Uh So, uh, Ethan Hawke said that what, what he decided to call himself was, a young old dude. Because <laughs> obviously Fair. when you're 47, you can't call yourself young anymore. But you're also not old either. No. If I were to die, everybody to would. Yeah. If I were to die today, everybody would go, oh, he was so young. But then if, if you look at me, you go, mm, he's not young, obviously. <laughs> it's a state of mind. It is a state of mind. Okay. So let's. Let's see here. What are the three most important pieces of advice that you have for people starting their own business? There you go. I hate reading questions because it sounds Mm -hmm. so fake, but what are those three most important pieces of advice for people starting their own business? Starting your own business. Well, 
So we don't work with startups and I'll tell you why. And this will kind of answer the question. Um, (laughs) So we don't work with startups because um, building a really strong brand strategy and positioning requires some previous experience. So Mm. uh, there has to be something there. There has to be something to build the strategy on. I don't want to brand someone who has an idea and they want to see if it works. I want to brand, I, we're usually <laughs> rebranding people uh-huh. who have had clients for a while and they know that they're really good at what they do. Right. They have very happy clients. They have a hard time accessing more of those clients, right, right, getting right. paid well for it, all of those things. So um, if you're just starting out, and this is what I tell people when they are starting out and they want to hire us, I say, go get a couple of clients. Just do anything to work with a few people in the way that you think you want to work with them right. and then come back to me because I will ask you about those experiences because until you've actually worked with somebody in some capacity, you can't really know if that's your favorite way to work with someone or if that's you know the favorite kind of client. You're really just fantasizing. So right. I don't want to build a strategy on fantasy. I want to build it on concrete um, experience. So yeah, when I'm working- You need to know what's going on before you brand it. Yeah, and I, and yeah. I also can confidently say that if you have worked with one client or two clients in one capacity in a certain kind of niche, there are lots of people out there like that. I mean, mm. there's 7 billion people on this earth. There are plenty of clients out there for you. And that's really the model that I'm helping people implement. It's not the only business model by any means, but right. for people that are looking to kind of have the lifestyle that I have, which is, you know, very few hours, make a, a nice profit and then have a lot of free time to do other things. Um, right. Those are the people I tend to work with. Very lifestyle businessy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So talk a, a little bit about some of your success stories, some folks that, you know, the, the, the befores and afters, you know, where, sure. yeah. So, sure. so, so let's see. So, um, one of my favorite ones is actually one of the first brand ups we did. So they've had the most time to, you know, bear the fruits of their labor. Yeah, there you um, go. <laughs> so, uh, so they were a financial firm, husband and wife team. They used to work at Merrill Lynch. They had n- named their little company Moderna Capital. Um, and mm. they were supposed to be for millennials. And they came to us because after a year of trying to pitch to people, they just couldn't, they literally couldn't close one client. Um, And the reason I found out was because they were doing it the way Merrill Lynch does it. So they were whining and dining people and, you know, eventually Mm. just saying, oh, now you want to come on assets under management with us. And it wasn't working. They got a lot of crickets. And so So I asked them. They were trying to use the boomer strategy on millennials, basically. Yeah, they were they were using the only strategy they knew right. in an industry. And they wanted to they the reason that they did it, I asked them, what are you against? And they said, We hate how Merrill Lynch has a minimum five hundred thousand dollars in liquid assets. And we hate wow. that yeah. all of our friends don't have access to the kind of support that that we have. And they right. are always asking us for advice. So we know there's a market here. Mm. So then basically what we said was, well, everything about you is just like a kind of watered down Merrill Lynch. I mean, Moderna Capital, their website looked like blue and silver and it was still very stodgy. Like mm. they were trying to break outside of the box, but they were very much in the box. Right. So, okay. um, so we said, okay, so you're against that. So we rebranded them. They're now Stash Wealth. They, um, I, I made their, their newsletter 
financial cliff notes, get your financial shit together. <laughs> All of their copy is very it, there. It's in their voice because they are, they are their own clients. Like they are of their generation and they're mm. very cool people. I said, you just have to embrace that voice. So right. I had to drag it out of them and then say, this is okay for you to say this. And at first it was uncomfortable because they kept saying to me, oh, you can't say that in finance or you can't say, and I said, you need to stop thinking about yourself as a financial firm and start thinking about yourself as a brand because mm. as a brand you're going to attract your clientele. Oh yeah. So so the other big thing that I did that I'll is a huge cornerstone of something I do for a lot of clients is I built them something that I call a lead product. Basically, instead of whining and dining clients, I productize their financial plan. So generally when financial firms uh, engage with somebody, they take all their assets under management and then they do a financial plan for free included you know, right, included right, in the, right, right. Right, the fee that they get. Yeah. So I said, forget that. Let's productize the financial plan. Let's call it a stash plan. And you'll do the financial plan for them for a flat fee. And then at the end of it, you can say to them, now you can go implement it or we can implement it for you. Mm. And for this is something <laughs> for, for, well, for an ongoing management fee. Right, right. So when I told them this, they said, so you want us to charge for something that we normally give for free to a demographic that has much less money than the group we're talking about? Right. I said, yes, because this group doesn't want to give you their assets under management before they've gotten to know you. And they want answers. So we have to look at like what their what is their problem and how are you going to solve it? So mm -hmm. I call this a lead product because essentially it cuts out all of the whining and dining and the free work, and it turns it into a 15-minute call. Hey, what's your issue? Okay, great. Okay, a stash plan would be great for you. Here's how much it costs. Um, sign here on the dotted line. And by doing that, all of a sudden, they started selling about 20 stash plans a month. So that's $20,000. They're charging $1,000 a piece for it. Yeah. $20,000 a month they were making just selling a stash plan that they were not originally even going to charge for. And then, so that's good. So that's, that's good. Huge. So all of a sudden they're making money. Yeah. And then about 95% of those clients turned into assets under management clients. Right. So they were onboarding 18 to 20 clients every month without doing all that free work. Right. Yeah. You know, so, I, I remember my financial plan that came for free. Mm -hmm. Uh, First off, it's not free. <laughs> That's what, yeah. It feels they're saying it's free and it's, but more appropriately, it's included with this big pile of money you've just paid. <laughs> right? Right. Yes. So when you, when you think of it that way, uh, I bet when you add up what you actually pay wealth stash. Um, stash wealth. Stash wealth, sorry. Um, it's going to be less than what you would have paid somebody else, even including what you paid for the plan. I bet. Yeah. My well, guess. Plan, I don't know. The plan, the plan is actually in some ways it's under, they're undercharging for it because if, yeah. you know, the point of it is to have, is to build a relationship with a potential client. Um, so where the client is paying for value and they're, in a position to deliver a lot of value so that at the end, I mean, the reason everybody signs on is because after you've worked with them on this financial plan, they're, they're the best option for you because you're looking at them and they're, you're going, this is a great plan. Yeah. I love everything you did. Yeah. I don't know how to do that. You do it. <laughs> right? right. But they right, don't right. have to. 
And right, I think right. that was a key that was a key shift in going to the millennial market was realizing that millennials like financial planners and and managing my assets it's not something that they were as comfortable with. Right. Um no, for so sure. So that solved that problem and obviously they were excited and attracted to the whole voice of Stash Wealth which mm. writes these very fun tongue in cheek and very informative articles that talk to their specific issues. You know, she always sends out every week she sends out like a cocktail of the week. She talks about, you know, how to use happy hour to and stash the rest so you can build your your fortune, you know. So they're really speaking to a certain demographic and that to me is badassing your brand. <laughs> You don't necessarily have to have Samuel L. Jackson saying no. like snakes on a motherfucking plane or something. No. no. <laughs> but that's cool too. That's cool too. Kind of a crappy movie, unfortunately. But I never saw it. No, me I don't think I ever watched it, but I got really excited about the mo- the title of the movie, right? When I heard that they were just because it's kind of like made me think, okay, they probably had a working title for this piece of shit movie and they called it snakes on a plane. <laughs> I thought it was a joke for a really long time. Right. No, I me thought it too. Was a spoof. Right, 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 right. You remember <laughs> snakes on a plane. That's amazing. Well, I, I was listening to a, a podcast way back then and everybody got really excited about this snakes on a plane movie, but we were all kind of thinking it was going to be one of those spoof movies that are so bad. They're good. But it wasn't it, even that. It wasn't? <laughs> too bad. No. It might, you know, they've just brought back Mystery Science Theater 3000. So maybe they could put it on there. Theoretically, <laughs> you could make fun of it and it would be fun to do that. I actually think there was a spoof movie about it. Another spoof movie about I think Snakes there was a spoof movie about Snakes on a Plane. Don't quote me on that. It was either that or maybe an SNL skit <laughs> it's possible yeah an snl skit somebody should have spoofed that Let's yeah <laughs> well nowadays they're making like sharknado you know so it's sort of like it's gotten you sharks, know, on, a plane. sharks <laughs> on a plane there should totally be sharks on a plane <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Google that, and if I find it, I will send it to you. I'm positive somebody made that spoof. Wow, I, I, I don't, I don't know if you're old enough to remember. You're, you're not. But I'm going to go ahead and, and drop a bomb on you because this is just funny, and you know, you might appreciate it. Uh, there was this movie called Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and it was really, really bad, really low budget and crappy, right? But then it got really popular, and it sort of got one of those cult followings, right? Mm-hmm. So they made another one, uh, and it was called Return of the Killer Tomatoes, and it stars a very young George Clooney. Really? <laughs> right. And that in and of itself is worth watching five minutes just to see yeah. Clooney young with that, all that hair. <laughs> but oh they, my God. they did so much fun crap with this movie, right? They imagined a world without tomatoes because they were evil, right? So nobody could have tomatoes anymore. So uh-huh. all the pizzas had like grape jelly instead of tomato sauce. <laughs> That's a horrible substitution. <laughs> I know. I know. But in the middle of it, they were like, they broke the fourth wall and they were like, showed the, the camera crew and said, cut. Uh, wait, we don't have enough money to, um, to fund this turd of a movie anymore. We have to close down production. And they're like, I got an idea. Product placement. <laughs> 
<laughs> so for the rest of the movie, they're like, hey, how are we going to defeat these tomatoes? Well, first I'm going to have this delicious Mountain Dew. <laughs> Oh, that's kind of amazing. That's I right. Love, I love yeah. the fourth wall breaking. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was hilarious. That's hey, great. Pia, this has been a blast. I appreciate you talking to me. Yeah, it's been really fun. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So uh, which which one, uh, which design, I'm sorry, worst of all design, that's the URL we're pimping most, correct? Um, Actually... <laughs> Okay. Actually, I prefer to pimp my book because Please. all this talk stuff I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about the book. We have so time. I poured, I poured my heart and soul into this book. It's called Badass Your Brand, The Impatient Entrepreneur's Guide to Turning Expertise into Profit. Okay. And it's it's really, uh, it's a play-by-play on how to turn your expertise into profit. I have six fundamental uh, steps. And then each chapter also kind of explains how we implemented it in our business and how it's been implemented in at least one or two case studies. And I find that the, you know, the lesson plus the stories really bring it to life and make it easier for you to implement it in your own business. So, um, so badassyourbrand.com, you can go grab the first chapter for free and Mm. see if you like it. Um, and yeah, that's, I think that would be, if you found, if you think you want to badass anything about your business, then I think it's worth a quick read. Yeah. And you don't need Sam Jackson because he might be expensive. You don't. You need your <laughs> own, you need your own version of Sam Jackson, whatever, whatever that, that is. Yes. And that's what badassing your brand is. It's finding the Samuel L. Jackson inside of you. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pia. This is, this has been fun. So badassyourbrand.com, worstofalldesign.com, and also piasilva.com. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you so much. Have a great one. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer.